Grab a, your Bible and your workbook. We're in beginning the prison epistles, okay? And we're going to begin with the book of Ephesians. So we will be studying Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, okay? So that's what we're going to get done. But before we do that, we're going to have some fun. I'm getting sick and tired of discrimination against old people. I mean, because I'm just tired of what they're saying and what they're not doing. I had to change doctors. They were telling me the CDC recommended at my age I didn't need this test. I had to think a minute and know that I was a Christian and a pastor before I answered that. But I let her know that the, the CDC can fly away, you know. I don't care about that. And so I went online and I looked up myths about old people. You know what a myth is, don't you? That's who you think you are. <laughs> I, was a, my, I was a myth of a, gospel, a golfer, a speaker. And, and then on top of that, when all this is going on, I'm reading these things. I'm watching you guys. I, I know people I talk to every week who are afraid to come out of their house because of some idiot that got on TV and said this year is going to be worse than last year. Scaring people, I'm tired of it. And then they get on TV and they defend the fact that there are a lot of restaurants you go to, a lot of service places, they don't have anybody working. And the reason they're defending is this. The Gen Zers said they can't get up early enough to get to work. And they have eight o'clock meetings. And, and they're defending it. They're not laughing at it. So I looked up some myths. And so if you have, if you agree with these myths, it's top 10, you say yay, okay? But I want you to think about what you're yaying about. And if you disagree, I want you to say boo. So let's try it. Say yay. yay. Say boo. boo. Boo real harder than that. Do it hard. Ready? Boo. Yeah. All right. Here we go, gang. Top 10. Growing old means that you're dependent on somebody and you'll wind up in an institution. All, all old people are poor. When you get older, you don't need much sleep. <laughs> if you live long enough, you're going to be senile. I know some fairly young people that are senile. Age means weak, brittle bones. Old dogs can't learn new tricks. Older people should limit physical activity. Sexual urges normally cease in later years. Old age is a time of you're just going to be sick. And old folks are lonely, isolated people. Amen. I like that. You see, the problem is, I'm really 
got a method to my madness is that many times in Christian life, we believe the press. We don't really realize it. And in these prison epistles that I've chosen to, to begin in, you're gonna see four things. In Ephesians, you're going to learn about encouragement, the need of being encouraged and the need for you to be an encourager. Oftentimes in churches I've pastored, someone would inevitably come up to me and say, Pastor, there's nobody who encourages anybody in our church. And I used to, in my younger days, would just you know, go, well, you know, we'll pray about it. But in my older age, where I didn't really care, I'd look at them and say, what's wrong with you? And you see, that's what we usually do. Why don't somebody do something? Well, why don't you? But we're going to learn the value of encouragement. We go to Philippians, we're going to learn the joy of joy, living a joyful life. We're going to learn about reconciliation in Colossians, and we're going to learn about forgiveness in Philemon. It's going to be a great ride. But right now, we are in Ephesians. The church at Ephesus, it was, this is where that letter headed. Now, there are critics who say that it wasn't the church, it was an encentrical letter, which simply means a letter that was sent to one church and they best passed it from church to church to church. They may have done this, but this is a highly personal letter that Paul wrote. In fact, Paul was pastor of this church for three years. A young man named Timothy was pastor for about a year and a half. And late in John's life, in his 80s and 90s, John, the writer of the book of Revelation and the writer of the gospel, was pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, I'm hoping you're taking notes. You need to take notes. When you study uh, Ephesians, here's what you got to know. Chapter 1, 2, 3, that is doctrinal and theological. Doctrine and theology is very important. So chapters 1, 2, 3 are about the theology that Paul is bringing and the doctrine. Uh, Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are behavior that should come from the doctrine and the theology, and it is very practical in nature. Uh, Theology without the practical practices is not very good. You just know a lot of theology, but you don't know what to do with it. So that's how you want to read this book. In here, we're gonna find out the originality of where, uh, where the body of Christ came from. And that's Paul's terminology. It is a metaphor that Paul uses to look at what is a church. You see, a church is primarily not an organization. Now, I'm not contradicting myself. There is an organized 
church. But in reality, the church was created as a living organism. It has life. It has movement. And it's, it is just like our body. We are a living organism, and we are functioning, and we function best when everybody is functioning in unity. And, and so Paul chose to use this metaphor. Uh, Paul also came up with this key phrase, in Christ. Over 15 times, the terms in Christ and in him are used in this book. And to me, I have found over the years, that to me is a great definition of who I am. I am in Christ. That is the distinctive of my life. Without being in Christ and Christ in me, my life would be out of focus. My life would be backed off. But in Christ is not only my stability, it's my strength, it's my hope, it is my life. And we, the, the sooner we realize this, that being in Christ is our life. It's not like we have this life and then we're a Christian and then we have this, uh, we're at home and then I'm a, a grandfather and then I'm this or that. No, our whole life is the being of in Christ. That's how we function. That's how we think, and that's how uh, we live. Today, in this day and time, people are highly concerned about their identity, their self-worth, their life purpose, and their self-acceptance. That's why I title this, Who Am I? What Am I Doing Here? And Where Do I Fit? Those are the most ask questions. And it is amazing. It is amazing. I would never have made the dean's list for being very smart. I was on a dean's list, but it was the other kind of people. It was people that he looked out for. But I knew this. I knew, always knew who I was. And when I became a Christian, as I began to study the Word of God, I began to have that in the focus of who I am. My life experiences, my personalities, the things that I lean to and the things that I shun. All of that together with spiritual gifts are who I am. But I am in Christ a vessel for God to use. Now, how God uses us is in a multiplicity of ways. Whatever you've done in life is how God used you. Wherever you've lived, wherever you've worked. Would one of you guys call and ask them to turn that off, please? I would appreciate it. I went on Amazon and I just wrote books, self-worth. And over 10,000 books popped up. I picked up a, here's this. How to raise your self-esteem. The proven action-oriented approach to greater self-respect and self-confidence. Wow. How about this one? A self-love workbook. 
a life-changing guide to boost your self-esteem, recognize your work, and find genuine happiness. Don't that sound like something you ought to read? Now, you see, in that is a man's idea of what life ought to be about. In that, if you look at this self-esteem movement, it's not what it, in essence, it's talking about. How you look at yourself is self-esteem. What's happening today is we become wrapped up to the extent that life is about me. When God created the heavens and earth, he did it for me. When things happen in this life, depending on how you look at life, either somebody did it to you or everything that exists is for you. I used to have a friend. I, you know, I, for a long time, I didn't, didn't laugh out loud, but I began to laugh. He would, we'd be riding down the street and we'd be going to a restaurant and we had to park on the street back in the day uh, in Daytona when they had restaurants downtown and, and that was where people went to eat during the daytime. He would see a parking space and he'd start driving towards it. Somebody else ahead of him would get in it and you know what he'd say? That guy knew I wanted that parking place. <laughs> I mean, that was his mindset. And you see, that's the mindset of the world today. And if you want to know why there's arguments, if you want to know why there's such hostility, do you want to know why racism, one of the main reasons, has kicked back up in our country after being down for so long? It's the fact that everybody lives for themselves. Everybody thinks they're better than everybody else and that God created us to pick out the faults and tell somebody else. That's the worry. So where are you gonna find out your self-worth? I'm glad you asked me that. The book of Ephesians. You see, I wanna tell you something. When God is eliminated, when you're looking for these things, and God's word is not considered the only source of finding out who you are is eliminated, so it's important. In the book of Ephesians, we find out who we are, all right? Ephesians, in the first chapter, we're gonna look at verses three through 14. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I want you to look at a word. What is that word? Has. So, uh, excuse me, Ron, would you make a phone call to get that stopped? What is, this word has, let's go back to school. What does that mean? Is that past, present, or future? It's in the past. So God has already, when you come to Christ, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. This word blessing can be interchanges when you hear, see the word riches, okay? And, and the problem today is that when we see riches or blessings, we think monetary. We think 
something that God picked out to do for us alone. And we forget that if you are in Christ, he has already, he has put in your bank, given you a checkbook, every spiritual blessing. Where are they? In Christ, all right? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Why did he, why did he chose us? How, I mean, why? What was the realm? See, we get shook up about this word chose. But if you look at what he chose in us, we are to be holy and blameless. Blameless is not an absence of sin. It's simply that your sins have been forgiven and they are up to date and been forgiven. So you are blameless in his, God's sight. Follow me? All right. In love. He predestined. Whoa. That's another word. We run for the hills. No. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. Let me tell you what a Roman citizenship meant. In the time this book was written, wealthy people, a lot of times they didn't have an heir. And, and so they would adopt someone to be their heir. Now the difference between adoption and natural childbirth is big time. If you are born into this family, you had no rights no privileges from the family name or wealth until you became of age. But under Roman law, whenever you were adopted, you could be three years old and you immediately had all of the rights to the name of the family in which you were adopted. So what this is saying, he predestined us for the adoption, full authority, everything God has for us to sonship, how? Through Jesus Christ. What is the avenue of that? The blood of Jesus Christ. All this in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Why did God do this? It was God's will. Okay? All right, let's go. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The one he loves is Jesus. Grace fully, freely given to us. I've been a Christian for a long time, but the grace of God constantly amazes me. His great grace what it means to be in Christ, how I could never qualify for that grace. I could never qualify for the blessings simply because I could never be good enough, long enough. And not only that, I did, would not even want to be. But in Christ, we, have a, we are a new creation and we begin to think differently in life, all right? In him, we have redemption. He redeemed us. He bought us back. We were ensnared to sin through Adam. We are sold into sin, but he bought us back through his blood, the forgiveness of those sins, all right? 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Romans, you'll read, shall we sin in order that grace may abound? And Paul says something like, what are you, crazy? And yet, Paul goes on to tell us that where sin increased, grace much more increased. You can't sin more than the grace that God's given us. And that, my friends, is not a license to do anything you want anytime you want to because you got a new want to. And when we just read a while ago, to God's praise and his glory, that's who we live our life to, to the praise and the glory of God. Because the simple words when we meet God in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, are greater than any award you could ever get in this earth. All right? That he, I love this word, lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will. You know, we talk about, I don't know what his will is. I don't know what God's will is. Here's what we usually mean. I've had young ladies say, I don't know what God's will is for a husband for my life. Well, you want a godly husband, okay? But what she means Tall, dark, handsome, got plenty of money. You know, so we, we add things when we say we don't know. The Bible also tells us don't be unequally yoked. That means you don't go find your, your husband online in a dating service or in a bar. You simply find him in the body of Christ and you ask God for the one that he made for you. And most happy marriages are those that married somebody that wasn't made for them, and in your marriage, it just don't fit. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All things will be unified, heaven and earth, at Christ's return after that millennial reign. Okay? In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, what he predestined, what he chose, everything fits. See, God is still in control of the events in this world. God has not given up his sovereignty at all. It's God doesn't adjust things to make things come out like he wants it to come out. It's just going to come out that way because of the way God is sovereign and his will overrides all of that. Okay? Here we go. In order that we who were the first to be put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance 
until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Who are you? I don't know what was going on in your life before you walked in here today. But if you're like a lot of people, you've listened to the news. You've listened to what other people have said about you. And to the point that you have just got down. I used to tell people, I'm so down that I could walk under a snake with a top hat. (laughs) And a lot of you are that way. Because see, you've forgotten who you are. So it doesn't matter. Those myths, they're just that. It doesn't matter what people say about you or think about it. It doesn't matter what the world. I can remember what, 25 years ago, they started making people our age take early retirement so that young people would come in to the workforce. They said so the workforce would be better. That was a lie. They did that for one reason. When we've been around for a while, we're making this much money and they were going to hire young people for this much money. It was economic. But here's the snare. They gave us buyouts, told us to retire, and we did. And the gross national product, the measurement of growth through industry in any nation, went into the toilet. Why? Because when we went out, nobody else came in. And those that did didn't know their left from their right. So you are living in a weird, crooked, filthy, nasty world. That's just the way it is. But you are in Christ. When you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have been guaranteed certain things before the foundation of the earth. And those are just a few of the list. Now, a second point is this. We need to learn to adjust our prayer life. Now, there are times that we can ask for the things that I'm mentioning, okay? But I want you to understand that you've already got these things, all right? You ready? Let's look at the list. Love. Everybody wants to be loved. But, I mean, that's the way God created us. And we pray, Lord, I want to be loved. I want to be loved. Look, let's look what Paul said in Romans. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's Love, never ending. You cannot measure it. There's no way you can define it except the purity of loving the unloved, not for pity, but because he genuinely loves you and lives for you according to the definition we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. God does those things. He's patient. He's understanding. He doesn't remember a wrong done. Go back and read that 13th chapter. 
Look at all its things that says love is, and then God poured his love in our hearts. Isn't that great? Huh? Somebody should have said yay for that. I like that. How about peace? John 14, 27. Peace I live, leave with you. What peace? My peace I give you. If you, when you read the Gospels, from the time Jesus started his earthly ministry, people either hated him or loved him for what they could get from him. And the religious community constantly tried to kill him. But I never have read anywhere where Jesus became afraid. I've never read anywhere where Jesus said, go down to the drugstore, get me something for my depression. I came to save the world. These people hate me. He's giving us his peace that says, and listen carefully, it doesn't matter what you go through in life. You go through it. And if, you know, preacher, what if it kills me? The worst thing that's going to happen to you, you know, stand before Jesus and have him say, come on home. You see, that's why we can walk through disaster. We don't like them. It affects us. It hurts us. But come on, guys. If we had time and you people just here today, would just tell your story. Do you know how encouraging that would be for someone who lives in depression, for somebody that lives with doom and, and gloom? Y'all remember hee-haw? Blues, despair, and agony on me. Whoa! I mean, that's how people live today. You guys are a wealth of something money cannot buy experience. Oh yeah, I've had, well, pastor, I didn't always do it. I didn't always do it right. That's not the issue. You got the experience from going through it. That's your story. That's why we are important in life. Don't despair. I've seen it before and God has delivered us. All right, let me hurry on. How about happiness and joy? John 15, 11. Oh, wait a minute. Go back. Keep that here. I forgot. I got carried away. Why did he give you this peace? I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and don't let them be afraid. Okay. I, I, I think that's my message to you today. Don't let your heart be troubled. Yeah, news is bad. It's always been news. Even when it was real news. Doesn't matter. God is sovereign, right? Everybody say that. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. So let not your heart be troubled. Okay, now we'll go to John 15. I've told you this so that my joy, here we go, my peace I give you, my joy may be in you and your joy will be complete. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Okay? Joy simply 
is Jesus' joy in us knowing he's our Savior, knowing he is sovereign. All right, what about the last one? Strength. I'm just not strong. All right, Philippians 4 chapter. I'm not saying this. Paul was talking about, I want to thank you for your offerings and all, but I, you know, I'm not contingent. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have what? Learn. Learn. One of the myths was old people can't learn anything. Everybody say boo. Uh, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. And I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Theological lesson. Listen carefully. I've heard people say this over and over and over, and I'm probably guilty myself. Well, they want me to teach a class, but I can do all things through Christ. Or you're faced with some kind of issue. I can do all things through Christ. That passage of Scripture is talking about life. It's talking about life. In every circumstances in life, At our age, we should have learned to be content. And for you Northerners coming to Florida, you should have learned that lesson through living in Florida. How? If you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes, you'll get something else. That's life, guys. All right, 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us a couple of things. What's that word? Say yay. We need for a godly life. I can't live the Christian life. If you can't, you're not a Christian. Because the Bible says his, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Okay? Okay. Now, what might be hurting us is through a knowledge of him. How much time are you staying in the word? Are you getting your theology and practical life from myself or Joe or Cord? Are you sitting down yourself? All right, let's, let's go. They started drilling on me. Who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Through these, he has given us every great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's what he's saying, guys. He's not only given you everything that you need before the foundation of Christ, of the world, when you come to Christ, everything he hadn't given you, he's given you a promise for. So here's the invitation. Do you have a living personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know if you were to die right this second, you'd open your eyes in the presence of God? If you don't,
We're going to have people down here. We have room three. You can go talk to a counselor in private. For you that are in Christ, here's my challenge. Start living it. Quit whining. Start living. Your life is not over. I don't believe in ghosts, so none of you are ghosts. Your life is not over. Every day is a new life. Get involved like you have been, only go take it a step further. Don't be afraid. Father, your word challenges and your word provides. I pray today, Lord, that you would call to you those that, Father, have maybe been rejecting you, that they would come to saving faith in Christ. Would you encourage those that are listening online to us? Lord, move them to hit that I have decided. Let somebody speak to them. If people are living at home afraid, Lord, draw them out of their isolation and their home. No better place than this crowd of people here. God, do your work through your word in Jesus' name. Amen.